hello and welcome to another episode of Live Fix Radio. This is Chris. This is Colleen. Ha- Happy New Year, Colleen, by the way. Happy New Year to you. We're, we're uh, two weeks, a week or something, I don't know, uh, into uh, 2012. A brand new year. Yeah, we're... Uh, we're rocking and rolling, so glad to have you guys with us. Uh, 2011 was a f- freaking fantastic year. Uh, hope you enjoyed our last episode, wrapping all that up. Uh, if you missed it, go back and check it out because uh, there's some pretty cool stuff on that episode. So, but, and we hope uh, you like us because we're going to be coming out with almost double the shows this year. Yes, we have a fantastic year planned. Uh, planned in advance. We have some. Great, uh, great guests coming up, uh, people from the industry, fellow music fans, uh, people that uh, you may or may not know already, people that, you know, are just going to, they're going to amaze you, you know, we're going to, we're going to, they're going to change the way you think about live music. Yes, that's our goal. Absolutely. So, and what better way, we're going to start this year with, uh, we, I, Colin, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited about this show. Because uh, this is by far one of the uh, one of my favorite fan conversations that I that I've had since we started doing this whole crazy thing called Live Fix. So uh, today we're gonna we're gonna be talking with Eric Nihilus Kolke, and he is um, Nihilus. That scares me. Eric Nihilus. Yeah, that's his that's his you know his middle name is his famous name. Uh, his punk name. His punk name. Yes, Eric uh, Eric Nihilus Kolke. Uh, Eric was a uh, very influential person in uh, the early punk scene in Chicago. And uh, if you haven't seen it before, you know, we highly recommend, encourage, uh, encourage you guys to go see, uh, go check it out. That's called the movie, the movie uh, is called uh, You Weren't There, and it's all about Chicago punk scene. And Eric, but Eric was there. He, he was there. Yes. He was clearly there because he's got a lot of and we had we, we We met up with them. We went to Chicago uh, late uh, early December or something so he like exists. That. We actually saw him. Oh, he very much exists. Yes, yes, absolutely. So we have him here. Well, he's not actually here. We went. We met. We met up with him in Chicago, and we talked with him about the movie, about what it was like, because he 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 has a amazing past, and he's a huge music fan right now. So we talked to him about some of his favorite experiences, and the music that you heard guy you know heard uh, coming in was uh, Vivian Girls. And uh, during our chat, you know, he talks about uh, some very interesting behaviors uh, that he does during Vivian Girl shows. So, pretty pretty cool stuff, you know. And he's and got he, a lot of facts. I mean, this guy knows his dates, times, amazing. and history. Yeah, yeah, he is a mountain of knowledge and a living, breathing live music, punk rock music. Uh, he's a big music fan overall, but he has an amazing catalog. He's an encyclopedia. He makes Wikipedia. Look, like small, you know. Like he just—he has fact upon story upon story upon story. So I think we're gonna have him back on a show. Um, you know, we have to. Future thing, we but, have to. But anyways, we're we're super excited. So we we have a we have a big show here for you guys. Great to start out the year with uh, with Eric. Uh, fantastic. He's got some Lady Gaga stories to tell uh, going back. Uh, so it's great to start off uh, the year with some great. Lady Gaga stories that we have not told yet. I did not know some of the things that he tells in the in, in the stories. Uh, he talks about crazy stuff that used to go on uh, in uh, the early punk scene. Uh, he toured, uh, booking shows and uh, managing shows for bands, uh, you know, the Sex Pistols, the Ramones, Iggy Pop. You know, just just 
he's he's got great great perspective, and it was truly an honor to have him on the show uh, with that. So so we don't want to hype up the show anymore. We can't we you can't overhype this show, you know. But anyways, uh, before we get into that, we got some we got some uh, music news business to uh, take care of, and then we're gonna dive into uh, Eric's Eric's interview. So. Um, so what happened? What happened in music this month? Well, Colleen, uh, were you a, were you a Van Halen fan growing up? A little bit. I don't think a we've little. ever talked about this in our any course of our relationship before. A little but bit. He's the one that did go ahead and jump. Go ahead and jump. He. It, it's actually. Well, it's, it's, actually it's a, a band. band. I understand yeah. that, but yeah. I mean, I. Okay, if 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 yes, I mean, I listened to that. Yeah, I'm I not, was one of those kids that. Dance around and listen to it, and jumped off things, and yeah, go ahead. I don't and think jump, I realized jump, right. the the context of the, the actual song until right. I got older. Yeah, it's actually a pretty crazy song. You know, if you look at the lyrics, you know, it's kind of suicidal in, in some ways. You know, the guys, you know, everything. But anyways, Van Halen is back. They've announced the reunion tour. So they had some problems with the band. You know, they couldn't get everybody together. You know, there were people here, band members there. So their manager must have said, go ahead and tour. Or they got some bills to pay. Said, go ahead and jump. They must (laughs) have said, go ahead and tour. They have some bills to pay, you know? But we know that live music, whether it's Van Halen, punk rock, Lady Gaga, hip-hop, rock, whatever it is, the reason that live music exists is, is for the fans. So if you were a Van Halen fan, you're listening to the show, we want to hear what you guys are expecting during this tour. Because we know if you... You went to a Van Halen show, or maybe you didn't. You know, maybe you, you grew up, you know, and you're, you're born in the 90s or whatever, you know, and you're here. And you're, I'm thinking you know, big hair and tight pyrotechnics. Pants, tight pants. And pyrotechnics. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. When you, when you say that. Big riffs, you know, I mean. The American my, flag is probably like near the stage or behind them or something. The American flag? I, I don't know. Maybe, big hair not. bands in the know. 80s. I just remember the American flag being really. Yeah. Visible Eddie Van Halen, man. I mean, who didn't want to be Eddie Van Halen growing up watching him on MTV, man? So I never got a chance to see him live. I don't wasn't quite old enough to go to to do that, but um, definitely grew up with Van Halen. Uh, but uh, maybe, maybe they're coming to Chicago in uh, February. Yeah, please contact so, us. So we want to hear your stories, basically. Please. You know, if you're a Van Halen fan, you saw them during the '80s, during their peak time. Um, they're back, and we want to hear what you guys think about that. We want to hear some stories. So uh, we have a uh, we have a call in number now uh, that you guys can call in, leave us your your feedback on the show, tell us a quick story, and we'll get back to you and we'll share your so- share your story here on the show. So that number is seven seven three six zero nine four three four one. What what's that number again, Kyle? This is where you're supposed to talk. It's right. It's actually right here. Oh, seven seven three 773-609-4341. That's the number you guys can call. Go ahead and share your story. So, uh, Van Halen back on tour. So the other the other thing that uh, was was big. You know, we're we're coming up on concert festival season pre preseason. I guess you could you could say. And Coachella. You know, they they announced their some of their big uh, bands uh, on the on the tour, and they have already sold out. So as of this morning, uh, last last couple of days or so, I think Friday morning or something like that, they sold out. So Coachella is sold out, and uh, apparently Black Sabbath was supposed to play, but with Tony uh, Ioni being recently diagnosed with cancer, with cancer, uh, they have pulled back. So it looks like there's the Black Keys, Radiohead, and a whole bunch of other bands that are going to be playing. I think Skrillex is also 
on uh, on the bill. So wow. So in order to go, you might have to gate crash. Yeah, and the big thing with Coachella this year is that uh, yeah, gate crashing. Yeah, but anyways, big thing with Coachella this year is different. Is that they're having instead of just one weekend, it's expanded to two weekends. So it'd be kind of interesting to hear. Uh, again, what you guys think of that? Um, you know, you're gonna you going to Coachella? Have you been there? You know, what do you what do you guys think of it? So, uh, the next thing is that you know earlier this week there there was some uh, big big new you know some precedents made on uh, one of the social networks. So on Twitter, Tiesto, you know the uh, the Dutch DJ uh, who we've actually interviewed uh, a fan uh, who you know. Who I know. You know personally. I know personally, yes. You, you know, one of your family one, members, yes, your, your, your younger brother, Mark, actually. You know, we, uh, we talked with him. He is a, a crazed fan. He loves Tiesto. Fan. But the thing about his experience with Tiesto, and we'll get, we'll get to the news thing, is that Mark went to the show and he didn't have, he, he, was, uh, he was a skeptic and walked out a true diehard fan within a couple hours. So the big thing with Tiesto, what happened this week, is he performed the very first live concert ever performed on Twitter. So pretty cool. Uh, the way that it worked in, it was that there's the uh, you know consumer electronics show going on in Las Vegas. So uh, together with HP, Twitter, and Tiesto, you had this precedent being made live on, on Twitter. So... Pretty interesting to uh, to see it. We kind of watched it a little bit, and wow, that's uh, going to be the start of, of more. Who knows, man? I mean, who knows? So, well, uh, we're going to be doing some more exploration. We're going to be talking with some people, um, you know, about you know, is this a new trend that we're going to be seeing? You know, using all those kinds of things. So, very first uh, Twitter concert. Kinda, I hope so. That cool. means that means some free concerts. Yeah, possibly. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe you have you know, maybe it's exclusivity. You know, maybe it's uh, you know. Concert, uh, you know, via the, the hashtag. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what that means. But our last news piece here is um, kind of interesting. That uh, you know, Jane's addiction. Uh, Perry Farrell, you know, the uh, founder, one of the you know the founders of uh, Lollapalooza. You know, we've seen him before uh, at different shows, and he always says really interesting things during pr- uh, press conferences. You know, I've, I've sat in on numerous press conferences with him, and. And he likes to say these funny little things that kind of make you, uh, you know, think about what he's really doing. And what uh, what I'd read was uh, it was uh, Polestar.com had a, a quote, and uh, this is what he said uh, about you know they're they're not doing. We kind of talked about this last uh, last show about some some trends. You know, the big arena tours are out. You know, and they're not people are not as uh, interested in going. Are to they those. out, or are people just so broke that they can't afford these huge? Uh, Concert tickets. It's probably probably a little mixture, but but uh, you know I don't have any facts or data to back that up necessarily. Well, actually we do, but but we won't get into that now. But the the, the important thing to, to notice here and what's why it's connected to this story is that you know fans are looking to go to smaller shows, intimate venues to be more immersed, you know, in that. And Perry Farrell, he says in this quote, he says, we chose to play as many of the great theaters that we could. Fine, because we wanted to immerse the audience in a unique experience unlike any they have ever seen at a rock show. And then he goes on to say, expect an orgy of musical and visual delights. We like orgies and hope you do too. So, wow. That's so kinda, I don't know if I like that. I don't know how much. You don't much. like the whole orgy thing? I mean, do you yes. really think he means actual... Orgies, no, I mean, like, knowing like, him, he, or, you know, like mental, 
cognitive cognitive orgies. I've also saw him. You know, I've seen him talk, and I mean, he just is a kind of an odd guy. So I don't think he really means that. You don't think so? You don't think that we're at a spot now in the live music history with technology and with MRIs and all that we could do that they could actually create some type of cognitive mental orgy that fans can participate in and that Jane's Addiction can facilitate at their shows. You don't think he's actually got that going on? I mean, this is a guy from... This well, is, he may have the funds. This is the founder of Lollapalooza. He, he may have the funds. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, won't, I wouldn't put it past him. He probably could create something like this, but uh-huh. I, uh, I guess I have to see it before I'll believe it. Did we got to go to see Jane's Addiction live to, this year then, right? Sure. That, that's the bottom we, line, And we can right? talk all about it. Yeah. Get some, other, get some fans to... Some critics, some actual fans that are going to critique mm-hmm. this uh, supposed... Mental orgy. Yes, yes, a, a, a cognitive orgy. I like that. That's 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 my, one of my new phrases of 2011 or uh, 2012. Sorry, but uh, in any case, yeah, James Dixon fans, you guys are out there. I know you're listening. So go ahead and tell us your your stories. You know, if you went and saw James Addiction back in the day, and now you're going to go see them now in 2012, we'd like to hear what you guys think. You know, did you have did you experience a mental orgy with? Jane's addiction in the past, you know, and can you do that now? Or is, is the band capable of creating that that feeling, that sensation in your brain and in, in your body with other fans now? Or are you even comfortable having a mental orgy with perfect strangers in a darkened venue? You know, we'd like to hear what you guys think about that. So, I think that's a perfect segue to the rest of our show because you guys are in for. I, I think you guys might have, you know, some type of mental orgy during during this show, right, Colleen? Possibly. What, what do you think? Possibly. What do they call it? Mental uh, floss? Mental floss. Is yeah. that what they call that? It's like an idea of like, cleaning and, and, and talking about stuff and yeah. understanding stuff. And Cool. I think there's a website out there called Mental Floss, actually. Is it? Oh. So. We'll have to check that out. So you guys are in, you guys are in, in, in store for a, a fantastic show. We got Lady Gaga stories. We got punk rock stories. We got just... Eric is an amazing guy and uh, super honored to have him on the show. So we're going to play a little more music here and then we're going to jump right into the interview uh, with Eric. I was a 
punk rock, new wave promoter, did tours, etc. from 77 to 84. I worked with pretty much everyone. The Ramones, Iggy Pop, Dead Kennedys, um, you know, anyone, the, the Sex Pistols. It was actually after the Sex Pistols that I worked with them, but I worked with everyone. John Lydon was in Public Image. Uh, Paul Cook and Steve Jones were in The Professionals. Glenn Matlock was Inspector. But one way or another, I have, I think I've worked with pretty much uh, everybody. And uh, I still go to a million shows, obviously. I'm completely addicted to music, and it's bankrupting me. Well, I think we'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. I definitely want to go into the, uh, maybe not the bankrupting stuff, okay. but, uh, but the, the live music experiences, uh, you know, definitely. So would you say you're addicted to live music or music in general, CDs? I'm, I'm really addicted to both. Um, you know, and, and people don't really understand this, this, I, this being addicted to music. They understand being addicted to drugs, being addicted to heroin, but the only people that are really, other people that are addicted to music understand what, it, what that actually means. The fact that you cannot control yourself. You have to buy CDs, you have to go to live shows, even if you, you want to stop, and you promise yourself you will, you can't. Because the next day, two days later, you're buying more CDs and you're buying more tickets to shows. And, you know, you're, I do all this stuff. The VIP, if there are VIP tickets, if I can get closer to the stage, you know, I'll do it. I buy all the merch. I got to have the autographs and the pictures. You know, I got to meet everybody. And since I was doing all that stuff before, you know, I have a lot of introductions to band people, and which has been pretty helpful. And I totally love it. I mean, I, uh, I listen to just absolutely everything. And I know there are people that say they listen to everything, and, and then, in fact, they, they, they don't. They listen to one or two things. I actually do listen to everything. Classical, opera, jazz, blues, punk rock, of course, you know, what we call New Wave from back when, um, tunes for tots, commercial jingles, yodeling. I mean, you name it, I listen to it. And I listen all the time. I'm completely addicted. It's... I don't know. I don't know if it's healthy or not, but it's it is what it is. It's not going to change. I mean, I'm old enough now, and if there were times when I thought, you know, I've got to stop. I've just, you know, it's too much. I'm just tired of of uh, you know buying all these CDs all the time, and I have shows every night this week, and I'm not getting any sleep, and you know, I just got to stop. I gotta, you know, and then I can't. I just can't. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but. Uh, it is what it is. It's just you know. So how did uh, if we can go back to some uh, some origins on this? I mean, it sounds like it it, it just this uh, just didn't happen for you overnight. You know, there was probably a moment where you someone introduced you to you know going to shows, music, things like that. And you know, how did uh, how did that start for you? What was your first some of your first show experiences? Well, um, the first person I ever heard. And this is pretty funny, and I'm not that old was Elvis Presley. And I loved it. I, you know, was really little. And I was like, who is that? Because that is who I want to be. That is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I just stumbled upon it, really. Um, and then I started buying Elvis Presley records, you know, bugging my parents. I wanted Elvis Presley records. Buy me Elvis Presley records. You know, and um, they did. And I would just, I still have them, actually. All those Elvis Presley records, I have them. Um, and then, you know, I started to hear, there weren't really a lot of things that I was got that excited about. 
around then. I heard Frank Zappa. I mean, it's just weird. My musical taste changed a lot. I mean, I love Frank Zappa, and I really thought it was just just unbelievably great. And of course, you know, I bought everything that he that he made, and I still do. They're still getting my money, you know. I mean, you know, they uh, his company Barfco Squill still puts out. His wife still puts out uh, albums and stuff from what they call the Vault, and I buy it all. You know, I mean, as long as they whatever they put out, I'll I'll buy. So you you say you buy everything? Would you say you ever? Take anything illegally or copy stuff or certainly not. Um, if you know, if there's no other way to get it, when you're addicted, you're addicted. You know, that's it is what it is. You know, like I said. So if there's no other way to get it, I may help myself to uh, you know to certain things. But um, if it is available and I can buy it, I will buy it, and uh, I do. And I, it's all, I'm all over the map. I've just bought um, Ali Kohler, who's the, um, she's a drummer of uh, Best Coast, and she was the drummer before that of the Vivian Girls. Um, she has some like uh, solo stuff on, on Bandcamp. I just bought all that stuff. Um, I'm a huge Vivian Girls fan. Oh my God, I love the Vivian Girls. Talking about going to a live show and just being completely, you know, euphoric. That's what the Vivian Girls do for me. I'm completely euphoric. I mean, it's absolutely in Nirvana heaven, you know. And and usually they play. I mean, if they play kind of a smaller place, they played some bigger places. But the smaller the place, the more I like it because you can really hear everything that they're doing. Um, and you can get really close, and you know. Um, and I don't know if this sounds strange, but yeah, I like to get close to the speakers. And what I, I think of it is the heart pulsating, the heart beating inside the speakers. I'll put my hand on the speakers. You know, I'm doing my own little thing, you know. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I'm doing it, you know. So um, I love seeing that. Do you do that at, at every show or just Vivian Girls shows? Not at every show, but at some shows. And definitely every Vivian Girls show. I always make sure that I am right in front of the stage. And I, I love to be right in front of the stage. Uh, the closer I can be, the happier I am. So I make every effort I, I, I can to be smack in front of the stage, you know, as close as I can be. And, you know, if there are speakers there, you know, and I love the band, my hand's going on the speakers. I'm going to feel the thing, the, the heart, you know, pulsating or, you know, beating. And uh, I try to listen. It's you know, I listen to all the different parts, or I try to, and then I try to hear the whole thing together, and, you know, you know, it's just, because I love, you know, let's say, Kickball Katie, I love the way that she plays bass, and I love Cassie Ramone's guitar playing, I, I am the biggest sucker for that, so I always try to get, you know, should I get close to Cassie and try to hear her guitar playing?
you, you mentioned you started with Elvis, and then you know you went went on down the line from there. What was the very first live show that you ever saw, and what what was that like for you? Where was it at? What venue? Oh, oh yeah, where, yes. Where where was it at? Yes. The first show, live show that I ever saw, um, and it'll be interesting because it's quite a jump. The first live show I ever saw was Alice Cooper. Welcome to my nightmare. It was at the auditorium. Pretty sure it was at the auditorium. Um, and that was an interesting experience, you know. That was I was still pretty much a young guy. Now back then, I mean, if you went to like some auditorium show, like I mean, that kind of show where it was just huge, you know, you just finished Billion Dollar Babies, the band, the original band had broken up, and he was doing this Welcome to My Nightmare solo thing. It's the first solo thing that he did, and you know, Alice Cooper was huge. I mean, huge. Um, also a huge Alice Cooper fan. But I like the early stuff. I like the. I don't know if you've heard any of like Pretties for You and Easy Action. I thought it was really great. You know, the the mainstays Killer and School's Out and Love It to Death and you know, Billion Dollar Babies, of course, and all that stuff. I mean it's just great. Um and uh so I was very excited to to go and that was really the first show, live show that I went to. Very theatrical and you know, Els Cooper, oh yeah, it's Els Cooper, I'm so excited. Um and the people actually sitting down. Because they were sitting down, were were sitting down for this. Yes, were oh. people sitting down? Yeah. And the air was totally thick with pot smoke. <laughs> I mean, it was like unbelievable. It was so thick. And now back then, I mean, if you want to, it's just funny because it was, that is your quintessential show back then. It was in some massive, gigantic place. The band was like a mile and a half away. Everybody, you know, not me, but... Uh, pretty much everyone else was smoking massive amounts of pot, and the, the air was like so thick. And you could also smoke cigarettes and or whatever. I mean, you know, they didn't care what you did. It was kind of like the movie theater. It's like you paid. We're glad you paid. You know, go ahead, overdose, whatever you want to do, get your stomach pumped. We don't care. You know, you paid. You're good. Whatever you want to do, we don't care. So. Which was very different from the next show that I did. And that was kind of the big revelation. So when you went to the South, did, were, did you put your hands on the speakers? I was a mile and a half away. So you were too far away to do that Way then. So you, you had not started that, no. at that at that point. No. Okay. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, I think it's Alice Cooper. I could see Alice Cooper. And they had the big screen. You know, I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of like watching. Now, they didn't have, like, now we have a monitor during the whole show. But they had like kind of video clips of on a big screen and a movie they made with Alice Cooper and um, you know I liked it and they it certainly were very theatrical and they had the big spiders and the you know all his welcome to my nightmare stuff. Um, Do you remember how much you paid for that? Do you remember how much you paid for that you know, I ticket? Don't, uh, I don't think it was that much. I mean, I was so far away. I, mean, I was like, and you know, it was the first time I'd been at a real concert. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is, I'm like a miles and miles away from the performers. I mean, I'm glad I'm here, but, you know, plus when you're that little, I think, you know, the place seems even bigger because you're just such a little guy. And I was a little guy back then. And, um, you know, I've gone to some places which I kind of remember being bigger than they actually were. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, this place is not that big. <laughs> You know, but back then that place seemed like a, just a cavernous, never-ending, Dr. Seuss-like, you know, place. Um, 
the next show was a big revelation for me, and that was, um, and I just started hearing punk rock. People were giving me punk rock records and stuff, and so, I mean, I did listen to other things, but I really didn't go to that many shows. My folks really didn't go to that many. Shows. They were like classical music, opera, classical. You know, we heard a lot of that, which I really like. I mean, you know, Copeland and Eric Satie and. You know, Mozart and, you know, Stravinsky, Rite of Spring and Petrushka and all those kinds of things. Um, a lot of the, you know, Frank Sinatra, of course, come fly with me, hey. All that kind of stuff they would play, you know. But um, that was that generation. A lot of soul, which I really liked. They played tons of soul. Uh, my dad was, uh, I don't, I'll just, I guess I'll tell you this. He created Tony the Tiger, and he was very big in advertising, and he knew, um, he was a big soul fan, and he, I think he knew, like, Don Cornelius, and anyway, we had a lot of soul records, so I heard a lot of, like, OJs and that kind of stuff, which I really like. I think it's just, I think it's, fa I think it's great. Um, the next show I went to, and I was underage, when I, but I had a fake ID. I, I got a fake ID. I, when I started hearing punk, I'm like, now, this is for me. You know, I'd found my kind of the thing that I really liked. And it was the Sex Pistols, the Clash, and New Wave got thrown there too. Richard Hell and the Talking Heads. Everything was just sort of, there you go. It's all at one time. Uh, and that was, this was like spiky hair time. The thrash had not happened yet. A lot of people think of punk now. They think, you know, thrashy stuff, which I also really liked. But that, had, that didn't exist at that time. And um, uh, at a very right at the, I was not born. I was I was living in Highland Park. I was my little guy in Highland Park, and the city next to us was Highwood, and um, playing at the Alley was were the Ramones, and opening up for them were the uh, Tutu and the Pirates, which is the Chicago's first punk band. This is early, I think seventy six, something like that, and. Um, I had never been, I mean, to a in a small place before, but I really wanted to see the Ramones, and I had heard a lot about the Tutu and the Pirates, so I was curious about them. I read like the Gabba Gabba Gazette, which was the punk Chicago punk fanzine back then, and um, I knew the alley. I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's just in the town right next to Pound Park. I'd like ride my bike there, you know, and I got my fake ID. I'm gonna get in. I'm gonna go see this thing. So I did. I went with a friend, um, and. Uh, we, we, we saw it, and it was in this really tiny, tiny bar. It used to be like, it was just a tiny place. And the Ramones played, but all the punks from like, or all, everywhere, from around the city, they all showed up. And they, they all came, you know, and I had been to Lemire before that. In fact, I, a lot of some of the Lemire footage that they used in the You Weren't There, that's from me. Stuff that I shot on Super 8. And I and also that stuff when you hear Noah uh, being interviewed, that's me interviewing him. I interviewed him um, for this project for high school, you know, <laughs> and I thought, I want to tell people about Lemire. I mean, the place was only open a year, so I'm glad that I was there as many times as I was because it wasn't around that long. Um, but this was like kind of the first live show that was that small, and let me tell you something, when you go to a, a live show like that and you're, it's a small club and it's that insane, you remember it. And it was a, it was like I was a little freaked out, and I was really excited, and I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. It was, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, I, I couldn't believe I was, I was so close to the performers, and it makes a difference when you can really hear what they're playing. You know, it's not this cavernous place, 
Not to upset anyone who likes the big auditoriums, but if you could see your favorite band in a smaller place, believe me, you would do it. You know, you would love it uh, because they sound so much better. And, um, oh, they should sound so much better. I mean, there are some places that are small and it sounds like the L. But, you know, for the most part, the sound is really great. I mean, Empty Bottle, Subterranean, Double Door, um, you know, Metro. I mean, most of these places have really good sound. And um, you can really hear what's being played. And, you know, they're not, they're small enough where, you know, you can get that, that, that feeling you're, you're close to the action. So, and I, I just was amazed. I mean, I, it was just a revelation. It really was. Also, I went to some. I went to shows after that, and there weren't that many people there. And, I, and that's when I started thinking, you know, I could do this. I could be a promoter. I mean, I was like underage when I was promoting when I started. You know, I mean, it was just insane. I'm like, well, how bad can it be? I mean, there's nobody here. I love these bands, and there's like four people here. You know, and most of them are passed out. So it can't get any worse than this. It can only get better. The only places where you really could get a sense that, that something here was, I mean, out of the ordinary, where you really could have a good time, is when Tutu and the Pirates or Skafish, I don't know, Jimmy Skafish, do you know who that is? You know, Joan Fan Club and Sign of the Cross. And uh, when they would play the suburbs, that was fun. That's when you'd have a really good time. You know, because the people in the city that would go to those shows, for the most part, they knew what they were going to see, they knew those bands. But you've went to a place like Beginnings or wherever it was, someplace in the suburbs, and these people had they would have no clue. And you got to realize back then, I mean, the, the the look was, you know, it was long hair, satin jackets. Everybody had satin jackets, and you know, it was like Loverboy and you know, bar bands like that. And it was bands that you, you saw the movies, so you kind of know that that that's what you were going to see. And when people went to these kind of sh the clubs, that's what they were expecting. You know, they were going there on dates with their girlfriends or whatever, and this was the plan. The plan was they were going to get laid after they saw, you know, after they went to go see Loverboy or whoever it is, and, you know, and the song's going to be understandable, real rock, which is kind of an interesting thing, too, which we can always talk, we can talk about, and that is, back then, rock was king. Uh, Lace Starlight, who was, you know, Gaga's original DJ and still does stuff with her and whatever, um, she loves, I mean, she was born at the wrong time. Had she been around then... She would have been, it would have been perfect because people would have been, you know, way into everything she's doing. She loves that, you know, kind of rock, hard rock music. I do too. But, I mean, back then, that was it. That was all. I mean, that was, and there was no, I mean, now, of course, it's disappeared. I mean, it's amazing to think that all, back then, basically, I mean, the boys were the ones that were buying the records and going to the shows. I know I'm going off topic, which is what I do. And, uh, uh, and now it's basically girls who buy the records, and it's you know this pop dance stuff, and rock has basically disappeared. I mean, it's almost non-existent, which is amazing. I mean, when you think, you know, back then, I mean, that was the they that was the king. I mean, you every radio station played it, just like every radio station now plays, you know, a dance and pop and you know rap. I mean, I still have the same. And I'll get back to my original thing. I still have the same complaint that I had back then, and that is it's too much the same stuff. It's two, one or two types of music, and that's it. And, uh, you know, it's hard to convince people, say, you know, if you really kind of mixed it up a little bit, 
believe me. How important was the live show experience to connect people to the records, you know, or was it more of the records going to the show like, and, and just certain scenes? Because the movie that, that you're in, uh, you know, you weren't there, it's all about the scene, you know, about the different clubs and things like that. What was it like for that, you know, how important was that scene to get people to listen to the records if they were having these experiences at the shows and going and buying and, and helping the bands and, and the scene kind of flourish? You know, it was, a, it was a mix of things, which shouldn't be a surprise. Um, people would hear things on record, and they would be aware of certain bands, and they'd, oh, the band is coming to town, oh, I want to go see them. Uh, it was a scene, though, and this is a, a very big deal. I mean, it's part of why I thought, you know, I think I can do this and make this work, and that is, um, we can talk about this, too. Um, the, record, the record business is still lost. I just filled a niche. I'm like, you know, there's a niche here that's not being filled uh, that I can do, even, even as someone who's got has no experience and is underage and has a fake ID, you know, I can do I can do this, and I did. You know, it just shows you know maybe it'll upset some people. Like anybody can do this, you know, it doesn't matter. You can be you have no experience, be underage, and you can still do it. Um, back then, it, it helped that there was a scene, there were clubs, and everybody would go. And you'd want to go, and it didn't really matter who was playing for the most part. You'd still go because it was something you were going to like. Um, the people that, that owned these clubs, at least they had a pretty good grip, you know, or they would have other people like me that would have a pretty good grip about what those, you know, those patrons wanted to hear. And uh, there were places that made, they were just gold mines. I mean, they just made so much money. Tuts definitely comes to mind. I mean, that was, I don't know if you'd heard of Tuts. It was right beneath the Belmont L. There's some other thing there now, but um, that was the place, even more so even than CODs. I mean, I did a lot of shows at CODs, but Tuts was really the place. I mean, uh, there's a guy named Jim McNamara, who I don't think is alive anymore, but he was the booking agent there. I don't think he's... Uh, Jim, if you hear this and you're alive, sorry. Um, but uh, he, um, he, was, he did a great job there, and that was really the hangout. I mean, it really... You know, everything, it's interesting. I mean, even the club kind of thing. Uh, you got to be careful about how you go about opening a club and what you have there. But if you do it right, you have, like, the, it's got that cool perception forever. Granted, they had, I mean, the, the shows that I saw there were unbelievable. I mean, I was jealous of a lot of the shows. I saw the Cramps there a bunch of times. And this is, like, a really small place. Tutu and the Pirates, again, played there all the time. And that was, like, so much fun to see them there. Um, is there anything that you experienced at a live show that turned you off from a band or from a scene or from a maybe a club? Never, never. It was always good. I mean, it was always good. Maybe that's. They've always been good experiences, you know. Some of them have been better than others, um, which I could talk to you about too. Some of them have been uh, interesting, but never bad. Always great, always great. And I, I, you know, I. I I don't think this happens for everybody, and I'm sure that it doesn't, because I think some people experience music in a, in a certain way, and maybe some people just even haven't heard the right thing for them, or they just, you know. Um, I really, every show is different. I mean, every, not every show, but every band is different. 
if I go to the Vivian Girls or, or Chairlift and I go see them, and I see that every show that they do, whenever they come to town, I'm there. I'm right in front. That's come more of a kind of a euphoric thing for me. I'm really in, in Nirvana. I mean, I'm just completely in it's bliss land. Um, you know, if it's semi precious weapons, who I absolutely love. I don't know if you've ever seen them. You're talking about they're kind of like the rock bands kind of that were around back then. I mean, they're the only ones that are really doing it, that kind of thing. And they have a mix of kind of glitter, kind of glam, I guess, glam and, and rock, but they're really the only band around that really kind of does that thing. And they also have their kind of originality. So it's a really interesting. They do that. They're original. The lead singer is unbelievable. Just, his name is Justin Trancher. Unbelievable. This guy is, he's got the greatest voice you've ever heard. It's, the range is ridiculous. He's the greatest showman you've ever seen. He'll, he can get the, the audience. There's only a few frontmen that really can get the audience frothing, no matter how they came in, no matter how they came in like lazy, bored, you know, arms crossed, you know, prove it to me, whatever it is. There are a few showmen, front people that, you know, change that attitude immediately. He's one of them. I mean, he gets people, you know, revved up, nuts, you know, crazed. And the songs are great. I mean, the music is great. It's just phenomenal. I mean, the other, there are some other people. Another good one would be David Yao. Now, we, went, we were at Pitchfork when Jesus Lizard came to Pitchfork. I don't know if you heard about that show. Yeah, I've heard, oh. heard about that one. Oh, yeah. that was a great show. Now, the thing is, now Pitchfork, I don't know what the deal is, but, you know, um, not to, you know, bash Pitchfork. They have a lot of, you know, mellow, whatever stuff that they book. It's real blah, ugh, you know, it's so boring and <laughs> tedious and, you know, useless for the most part. Not completely, but it's all pretty horrible. And um, they had Jesus Lizard there for some reason. I don't know why they were there. It's out of the blue. Let's have Jesus Lizard. Let's throw somebody a bone, I guess. And they said, there was a bone. And, you know, all the people that showed up were real mellow, and they were ready to, you know, just mellow out, man. Let's just mellow. And David Yao got everybody in, just made them into psychopathic killer. I mean, psycho, you know, just psycho killers. He turned these people, everybody wanted to, to kill or jump in the crowd or jump off the stage or do something. Even like people that seem like the most mellow people you've ever seen. And it was funny because I was watching some of these people going, well, that guy's really mellow. I don't think that guy's been smoking a lot of pot. I don't think he's <laughs> going to be doing anything. And he just, it's amazing to see that transformation take place and to see someone who is there, he's, you know, the guy who's like sitting in the lawn, just going to just mellow out and be cool and just you know, leap into the audience and just jump on everybody and just go nuts, you know, and, you know, and that is, you know, that's power. When you can change somebody that much where you, you completely turn, change the kind of person they are into, you know, mellow person, pacifist, into like psycho guy who must like jump in the crowd. I said to my wife about this because we were like, we want to jump in the crowd too. We were like, and I was like, look, at, you know, how, how like crazy he's got everybody. He's just, you know, just it's magic the way he's able to like you know manipulate everyone and get them just you know pumped up, you know. And the show was phenomenal, you know. I mean, he knows how to push all the buttons.
Now, I can tell you back in the 80s, this is kind of a story that most people don't know, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Now, uh, it's only in California. California was like the big, you know, kind of the thrashy punk scene. I mean, that's where it came from. If anyone ever wonders where that came from, it came from California. I mean, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, Fear, Dead Kennedys, you know, um, you know all of those, TSOL. The thrash thing really comes from California. And everybody copied it, but that's where it's from. And um, back then, punk shows were huge. I mean, I was doing tours back then, and, you know, you did shows at punk show in, Cal in California. That's where you'd have auditorium shows. You'd have these gigantic shows, and all these punks would show. It was unbelievable. So one of the very few places where you, could, where you would go, and you'd have that kind of audience. I mean, there were, I did a lot of punk shows. Obviously, I did a lot of shows with Dead Kennedys, and, you know, we would get... 1,500 people, you know, something which was pretty good back then, you know. I mean, Ramones would do like 1,000 people back back then, you know. Um, so, I mean, they played the Aragon later, granted, and which is certainly more. But for the most part, you know, I did a lot of shows with the Ramones. I did a lot of shows with Dead Kennedys, and it was about the same, you know, 1,000 people. And that was pretty good. I mean, you could make a pretty good living doing that, you know, getting that kind of audience if you could do it everywhere. But in California, I mean, the, the audiences were, were huge, and a lot of people got hurt at those shows. I mean, you probably saw at least footage of cops would always be at every show. They'd be at every show waiting for the ambulances, and the, which is kind of funny. You already know so, a lot of people are going to get hurt. You got to have the ambulances all set to go because people are going to get hurt. There's, it's already a, it's a fact. Show that part on YouTube. When you, look, when you look at the old videos of people moshing and stuff, you never see the, the ambulances and the aftermath. I did a million punk shows and no one ever got hurt. And we, back then, I mean, this would not happen now, I don't think, because I haven't seen it in forever. But I was, and uh, Dead Kennedys are a great example. The part of the deal with Jello Biafra, I mean, Jello Biafra really called the shots. He would tell you what was going to happen, when, how, and that's the way it was going to be. And he was, uh, I did a lot of shows with them, and he said, you know, I want a stage that's punk proof. With a where or a place that's punk proof, where a stage where I can dive into the audience, the audience can get on stage and dive off, and and that's what they would do, um, and never a problem, never a problem. Now, uh, and even you know the California shows that I did, um, I didn't have a problem. I did tours and stuff and shows. I mean, I never had a problem. Did a lot of stuff with the Damned or whatever, and no problem. But they did have. I mean, in California, they did have. They did have problems. I mean, I know that. I know the cops would show up. Ambulances would be outside. Um, at one point, and they always have, I mean, California's always got to be crazier than everybody else. Um, they had people that would, that would, you know, and those, those auditoriums would have balconies. And there were people that would dive off the balconies. And a lot of times the Red Sea would part. And they would hit the cement. Now, that would be a bad experience. You know, and you know they would break something, and the ambulance would like take them away, and they'd be like really hurt. And then the cool thing was like to do that in California. The cool thing was like to do that and break a leg or an arm or something, and be in crutches. So I saw these punks. I wish I had pictures back then, but you know we didn't have these like digital cameras, you know, like like we do now. But I was there. I'm telling you, all these people would like dive off these balconies. They knew they were gonna break an arm or a leg. It was like the, you were cool. If you broke an arm and a leg, and then if you had, a, if your leg or an arm was in a cast, and so a lot of people were like had casts on. There were some people, some punks, 
totally California. This is so pure California. There are some people who wanted to be cool, they wanted to be punk, but they really didn't want to break an arm and a leg. But they didn't want anyone to know that. So they would get like a fake cast, you know, and they'd have, but it would look real. A, fa a, a fake cast? Yeah, they'd have a really? fake cast and they'd have fake crutches, they'd have real crutches, but they have a fake cast and crutches and they would pretend like they had injured themselves by diving off the balcony. They didn't want anyone to know. But I, you know, they told me the story. I'm like, I'm not, you know, they would like confide me. And I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's secret with me. And I thought, these people are freaking nuts. You know, I mean, I'm all over the all over the country doing these shows, I'm all over the place, and only in California are people so out of their minds that they think this is like the thing to do, and you got to break an arm and a leg, or it's not cool. And then you got to like, if you don't want to break your arm or leg, then you got to pretend you're breaking an arm and a leg, and you got to get a fake cast, and you know, etc. I mean, unbelievable. So uh, now I'm going to juxtapose just because I think this is kind of an interesting concert story. I'm going to juxtapose Jello Biafra in a Dead Kennedy show where you'd have um, people diving off the audience. And I did a lot of shows with them. And they were really fun. And part of the, you, you realize, I mean, part of the thing was the audience was going to jump on stage. They were going to do their Huntington, you know, the Huntington Beach dance or whatever. They were going to jump off the stage. You know, I did it. I got on stage. I dived off the stage. You know, you're going to be, you know, in, the, in kind of the mosh pit. You're going to be surfing a little bit in the crowd. Um, those shows, I mean, the club, COD's was perfect because um, it would be packed. This is kind of, I, you know, I figured, oh, I know how many people are going to show up. Um, the stage is perfect height. Everybody can get on, get off. It's pretty easy. We only had, like, plastic cups with beer and stuff, no glass, so no one was going to get hurt, you know. I mean... I did. I, I was really happy with the whole situation. Also, we paid off the cops, so we could have underage people show up. So we'd have underage kids and the other fans and the college kids and whatever. So the thing would be totally packed. How did you find out that you you don't have to answer this question <laughs> if you don't want to? But I think that's kind of interesting. You do mention that in the in you know in the movie. You know, the grease the the wheels, or you said something like that. But uh, how did you how did you find out that that you know, okay. that you could do that or, or, or you know, just figuring figuring that out. Like, how did, I mean, because you you were fairly young at that point. I was. And, and you know, you might mention, in, you know, on the right, how, how did you figure that out? How did you come across you know, that opportunity to, to that? did you have that power to, um, to do that or you could exercise that? This is Illinois. This is Chicago. <laughs> so you don't have to be that smart because, I mean, the, the politicians look at all of our governors go to jail and why. They're not doing anything different than other politicians do in other places. They're just so obvious about it. You know, um, you can call it horse trading. It's, you know, it's, it's a bribe. It's a, it, it, this is not unusual. In politics, it's not unusual. Everybody's on the take. Everybody's getting something for something else. But they're not so obvious about it. Here, people will ask, well, you know, if you want to do this, give me money. You know, I mean, it's just that simple. So I didn't have to be that smart because the cops were pretty – upfront about it. Oh, if you want to do this, then just give me money. And back then, I mean, things were a lot looser back then. I mean, it was, it was a very different time, you know. Um, did, you, did you find some uh, Chicago cops that were punk fans and appeal to them? Or did you get, were, were there, uh, you know, you don't have to put any names, no. but were there any Chicago cops back then that were big punk fans that maybe came to your, came to the show and <laughs> You know, they were incognito, or maybe they, you know, they were fans, but they didn't want you to know. Did you, have you ever come across any no. things like that? Or? No. 
<laughs> now I have it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was very happy with the situation, and I liked the police. I had no problem with the police at all. And I was happy that we could work something out because I kind of understood, you know, from the, an underage person's perspective, since I had a fake ID when I started being a promoter, it's kind of funny, what it was like to, for someone to try to keep you out. You know, you can't go. I'm like, well, this is happening now. This is happening now. I have to, I have to go now because I don't know if it's going to be around when I'm older. So I have to find a way that for there, the bands are here now that I want to see, and I'm here now. There is no other time. This is it. You know, I just felt that this immediacy, and so I kind of understood. I go, this is like a big deal. I mean, this may never happen again. I mean, it was kind of like this, the '60s thing, and it just kind of happened. You know. Who knows if the, anything like that will ever happen again? And it was just out of the blue. It's interesting, though, there's, there is someone who kind of reminded me of those days. Um, and that person, you're going to be surprised, is Lady Gaga. And now the first time that I saw Lady Gaga was at Lollapalooza, 2007. Nobody knew who she was. No one had ever heard of her. And I went to go see, you know, Iggy Pop was playing that year, Pay Smith. There are enough people around, like, oh, yeah, let's go. And, and I want to see, if Iggy shows up, I'm going to show up. I always go to see Iggy. I'll never miss Iggy Pop, ever, you know. Um, so, and so we went. We didn't know who to see because there was nobody playing that we knew. And it just happened that this person, Lady Gaga, was playing at the VMI stage. So we went. And since then, you know, I, I, I'm uh, become sort of friends with Lady Gaga and Lady Starlight, and I've heard kind of the, what happened. Uh, they there was a lot of they had a lot of problems before the show. But it shows you, though, it doesn't really, well... Before the 2007 show? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, first of all, for anyone who's interested, well, I'm sure there's some people that are interested, but there's a person who paid for them to play Lollapalooza. I mean, that might be of interest. Uh, I wondered why in the world this thing that I was witnessing was at Lollapalooza because it was so uh, wacky. It was so uh, original and crazy uh, and it was so much fun, not to, not to, I'm not belittling Lollapalooza, but I mean, uh, Iggy Pop, I understand why he's there. I mean, uh, people know who Iggy Pop, Pay Smith, I know why she's there. Uh, but for the most part, it was the same thing. It was these, you know, bands that either the band is big enough to, to draw people and they get paid, or, or someone's got to pay Lollapalooza to allow this person to play there as a, a showcase. And BMI stage is definitely, it's the smallest place you can play. It's not a big place, not a big stage. Um, and you can imagine the money they were asking is probably pretty hefty. Um, and so she showed up, and uh, she had a keyboard. It was, like, really set really low. They had a disco ball hanging from, like, the, you know, overhead. Um, and the first thing I thought, this is 2007, I thought, well, this is kind of interesting because... <laughs> Disco, I was pretty sure it was completely dead. 
and I have nothing against disco, but I thought I don't get that. I mean, I thought disco, and I go, this could be interesting because, you know, it's it's almost like uh, I'd have to explain this to people who weren't around then, probably in the future. I'd have to say, you know, you weren't there in two thousand seven, hanging a disco ball at that point, and I was around when disco was 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 happening. Um, hanging a disco around two thousand seven, you might as well like be playing polka, right? You know, have a polka barrel or something. I mean, it was just. Disco, really? I thought that died. I thought, you know, and so that was it was just weird. Then they were, they started. They had an introduction, which was the music for the funeral of Queen Mary, which a lot of people know is the kind of the Clockwork Orange theme. And I go, okay, so we have a disco ball hanging here. We have the opening for the music Queen Mary, which is like real weird. And guy comes on stage, just kind of wrapped up, and, and Starlight Lady Starlight comes on stage, and they're posing. And then they play a little uh, Iron Maiden. And I, it's funny, this is like a weird kind of transition from this classical thing to this heavy metal thing. And Gaga, like, you know, whips off what she was wearing, and she has on this skimpy bra, which has got these mirrors on it, and it's made to look like two, her boobs are supposed to look like two uh, disco balls. And that was the idea, and it's really low cut. And so, you know, that's going to get your attention, like, whoa. And she had panties on, and that was it. Now, I remember the, everybody, all the guys in the audience, like, moved forward. They're like as if a magnet had pulled their heads, you know. It was just, and I also am included in that. I was like, "Whoa, it's almost a naked woman. What's going on? What's you know?" And she's like wearing a disco bra thing. It's weird. And there's a disco ball hanging. It's everything's, you know. What is this? And um, Starlight uh, had a bathing suit on, and she was like dancing. And then they started dancing, and they were, they had um, hooker shoes on. Which also got my attention. They had like, to like totally hooker. And I remember the early interviews back then. I have those early interviews for those who wanna, who might think they're gonna rewrite history. She would go to places where they sold hooker shoes to hookers. In New York, she knew exactly the stores to go to. And um, the thing is, it wasn't so much to, to be honest that she was like scantily clad. I know a lot of people think, oh, she's scantily clad. Well, that's why she got all this attention. Um, really, it was be, it was kind of the happiness and enthusiasm um, that really kind of hooked me because I just thought this is this is so punk rock, you know. I thought, and a lot of people are like punk. This is not. I don't understand what you're talking. Lady Gaga, punk rock. To me, it was. To me, it reminded me of exactly kind of the skatefish, early punk stuff that was happening. In my mind, this is punk rock because it was first of all things that people not that didn't. That, I can't even talk. Things that people n wouldn't necessarily like, like the disco ball. So it's almost like, I like it. I'm doing it. I don't care if you like it or not. <laughs> I like it. Um, and kind of the performance art, I, I don't know if you're going to get it. You may not. I don't care. I mean, all of it was like, it was, and she was so happy to be there. And she was so over the top. Also, when she was like playing the keyboards, she would be, she would be bent yeah. way over. And so massive cleavage, massive boobs. And, you know, I could see, like, a lot of the, I was still, like, looking around seeing the other women there, just see what they thought, you know. And, of course, a lot of them were, like, their eyes were, like, slits, which made me laugh even more. And a lot of them didn't care. I was with my wife, and she's like, oh, yeah, she liked it. And I talked about it the show afterwards. Also, though, I was surprised when, when Gaga started singing, I'm like, wow, she's got an amazing voice. And then the songs were about weird things. They were, like, Don't Be Dirty Ice Cream. Um, don't be dirty, ice cream, baby. I'm like, so, you know, it's one of those things where it's like skatefish, where you're, like, throwing all of these things at the audience, and they're like, well, I don't know. Usually, for me, 
I, that's what I love. You know, I love that. And we were like, what is this? I know I like it, but I don't know what's going on. I am so completely baffled. She's naked. There's disco balls. She, you know, what? Just, you know, I don't get it. Don't be dirty ice cream. And also, the thing was so held together with glue. I mean, and obviously, the reality is I'm sure the person who I know it is, but the person who paid for her to be there, it's very expensive. When you, when you get involved, and this is like a part of the music business, which has gotten worse, where you pay to play. And it's usually just unbelievable amounts of money. And there's no saying that anyone is ever going to care, no, go, whatever. It's a huge risk. Um, I think... She also had, I think it was, I want to say, I think I want to say Rolling Stone, but a couple of the big magazines had a picture of her state. I think she's, she's do some crowd surfing. During that performance at all? Yeah, no, we okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that was all over the major yeah. media outlets. In fact, there's a picture of me standing right next to Gaga at that concert. And we'll talk about that because there is a very different a very huge difference between that concert and a punk show. So I'm gonna draw some parallels. Some some people like punk shows, Dead Kennedys, Lady Gaga, this is, I don't see the connection, but you will. The thing about that show in 2007, she called it the pop show from hell, but really she got all of the major buzz came from that show. They were, there was, she had a lot of coverage from it. She got a lot of fans from it. People talked about it. I know I like, wouldn't shut up about it. Uh, I'm still talking about it because it was so great. Um, and, and during the show, I mean, she was like, the disco ball was so low. She was like running across the stage and hitting her head all the time against this disco ball. You know, um, the, the keyboards went out a bunch of times. Um, the DJ, the thing that, that Starlight was trying to work, I mean, it was screwing up constantly. I mean, they had a lot of problems. They just kept going, though. They kept playing. And it doesn't matter. I mean, the reality is if you're good and you have a good idea and you're exciting, it, it can be held together with bubble gum and it won't matter because it's those ideas that matter. And the show was unbelievable. And I was like, how did this show get here? Because I know, well, actually, I guess I was wrong. But usually I would think, I, my feeling was, usually there's no music business person ever that would allow this show to be here because they don't know what they're doing. They have the worst taste in the world. If it's boring, they love it. You know, I... There are people that, that you can just imagine. There are people that just don't have a feel for this, and they want to be in the music business to be in the music business because it's so cool. And they have an MBA from blah, 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 and they get in the music business, and they have the worst taste ever. And they're convinced, of course, like everyone else, that their taste is like the greatest taste ever. And I wouldn't even care that much if it wasn't always the same thing. And I realize, you know, they feel like, well, you know, so-and-so made money, you know, doing that. Why don't we, why don't we just hire a five million other people to do exactly the same thing and we'll just beat it into the ground, you know? And so, I mean, that's why the, I think that's why the music business is in such trouble. It's not because people don't like music. People love music, you know? And there are people that don't even know they love music because they haven't even been able to hear the music they love. But it's these people who don't understand why it's exciting and they don't care, you know? Um, and I was amazed. I'm like, why is lady? Why is this Lady Gaga person here at Lollapalooza? How in the world did this happen? Because this thing is held together with glue. And I know. I mean, nobody's heard of her. Nobody's heard of her. And uh, but it's it's the greatest thing I've seen here. I mean, it's Iggy Pop, Patti Smith, and Lady Gaga. Those are the bands, the the shows that I remember. 
And the thing is, I did shows with Iggy Pop. So I knew what those shows were going to be like. And I go to all the Iggy Pop shows. So I already know what to expect, you know. And same thing, Patty Smith. I love Patty Smith. But I, I know what's going to happen. Lady Gaga, I mean, yeah, she had a space, uh, MySpace page. Um, but no one knew who she was uh, until after that show. I really think, I mean, that was the beginning. Now, we're going to talk about when Lady Gaga was a huge star, when she came back to Lollapalooza, which was like in 2010, I think, that was here. And I went, she was playing that evening. But prior to that, the band that I mentioned before, Semi-Precious Weapons, and she is really good friends with them. In fact, she used to open up for them in New York when she was really, nobody knew who she was. I mean, when she was in 2007, she Lollapalooza, nobody knew who she was. Prior to that, she was opening up for Lady, you know, for Semi-Precious Weapons. And, you know, she was, I think, Stephanie Germanata band. I mean, no, there wasn't even Lady Gaga yet. Um, anyway, they were playing. Semi-Precious Weapons was playing uh, at the BMI stage, the same place that she had played. And um, the place was totally, totally packed. It was not like, if you would look at books of the Lady Gaga show in 2007, it all looks like it's like just massively packed. And, and you know, I was there, and it was uh, fairly well attended, I thought, but it wasn't packed. I mean, you could walk around. I don't remember it being that full. I see these pictures back there. And I look for me. And I'm like, where am I? Because I think I knew exactly where I was. I'm like, I don't understand why I don't see me. I think those pictures were, were photoshopped. I'm just saying all of them. I really think so. But um, Semi-Precious Weapons, 2010 at Lollapalooza, totally packed. Packed. There was no room for any anyone else. And um, during Semi-Precious Weapons set, they were singing Magne Magnetic Baby. I know all their songs. Um, Lady Gaga showed up with Lady Starlight. Uh, and um, I think Darian Darling was there, too. This is kind of their, their part of their group. And Breedlove was going to be there, but he couldn't make it, I think. I think he told me that. But anyway, um, she decides to jump in the audience. And I was, like, right, I was like right next to her when she jumped in. Um, now, the difference between the punk shows, and I did like a million punk shows, is that people would get on the stage, they would dance, whatever, then they would jump off. They would dive in the stage, they'd march, and people like, you know, Jello Biafra or, you know, Leaving from Fear or whoever, they would jump in the, in the, to the audience, or they would, you know, nobody ever got hurt. It was no problem. This was very different, and they were not going for, when people would jump on stage, they were not going for the singer. I mean, they could talk to him after the show if they wanted to. Those people were available, you know. So I, that's what I, this is what I think. So they were, like, going, that show, they were all going for Gaga. Now, Gaga was wearing, like, a really skimpy, like, a lace, lace netty kind of thing. And people went nuts when she jumped on the stage. And I just remember that moment. It was really scary. And it was the only time, you're talking about experiences, I wouldn't say it was a bad experience, but it was a scary experience because it was, the, the only time I've ever been at any concert where I thought that I might die, <laughs> you know, and my wife was there too, and I was worried about her, you know. I mean, when we look back, we're like, oh, it's, you know, really fun, but, you know, when it's happening, it was pretty terrifying, and I swear I remember the moment at which she jumped in, and I could collectively hear every person's brain shut off. I mean, I physically felt it and heard it. I could hurt they became sharks. And I became very, 
concerned. I remember, and that's before people actually started doing anything. It was a split second before they reacted. But I could hear it. I was like, she was like blood, and they were like sharks. I could hear that, like the brains were just shut off, and everybody it was like a tidal wave was going towards Gaga, and people were like jumping on top of other people to get to her. And of course, the people who were trying, everybody's trying to get to her. I'm like, what are they going to do when they get to her? You know, she actually, I mean, she would, we know each other. So, like, prior to that, when she would come to Chicago, she would always mention my name. She was, like, at the at Manor Club or Enclave or she, you know, wherever she was. It's like, oh, Eric's here, you know. Blah, blah, how you doing, Eric, you know. And, uh, you know, we would talk and wave. And uh, we spent plenty of time together. And there was nobody else around. I mean, pe nobody knew who she was. It's very different now, I can tell you that. Very different. But anyway, um... It was really terrifying. And there were some people who were very small that were in that audience, and they were, like, completely – there were people, like – it was, like, you know, people had, like, jumped on them. And, you know, they were, like, on the ground. And it was really terrifying. I mean, to be under a sea of people and be not be able to move, and you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't get anywhere. I mean, just because of the way the place is set up, I mean, it's perfect for the performers because – they're not going to get hurt. And, of course, I mean, Gog is, like, laying out like a rock star on top of everyone. Um, Justin Tranter is, like, next to her. They're making out. They're, you know, total rock star stuff, you know. But for the people that were, like, in the audience, I mean, where I was, and I was, like, right next to Gaga, right next to her stomach, um, it was, like, really scary. And she didn't care. I mean, I know she does not care. There are people that were reaching into her shirt, into her pants, they were grabbing her, you know, breasts, they were doing whatever. She doesn't care. She loves it. She just does not care. I mean, it doesn't matter to her. It really doesn't. I mean, prior to that, I mean, she, when she, she did some of these appearances at some of the Chicago nightclubs, and she would, like, dive off the stage, um, and we'd all grab her legs or whatever in her arms and pick her up and put her back on stage, and she was, like, loves it. You know, and the funny thing about that is it's always guys. It's always guys. The guys come rushing forward to grab Gaga. The women are like, eh, I don't care. You know, I'm not getting involved in this. You know, it's, I don't know what to say. But it was, that was, it was interesting because in that instance, they were not doing what they usually do at a punk show. They were going for the performer. And I don't even think they knew what they wanted once they got there. They just you know, just were mindlessly going towards her. And it, it was scary. I mean, I have to say, and not only she, she did it twice. She got out of the audience, and then she, like, dove back in. And everybody went crazy again. And I'm pretty short. So I was pretty well buried. But there was, like, people after the show that were next to me, and they were completely freaked out. And these are, like, young, you know, kids and that were, you know, 13 or 14 or whatever. And they were, I could tell they were totally shell-shocked. They were completely freaked out by everything because there was just nowhere to go and the crowd was like moving you you know but you couldn't move your arms you couldn't move your legs you couldn't get anywhere you couldn't get away and you were totally at the mercy of the crowd and um that is really when you when you lose that you know um that ability to you know to do anything and you're at the mercy of some mindless crowd it's really scary and then you're like buried and also, it's like, I know now what happened, but I couldn't hear anything. When you're buried under all those people, I mean, it's like being under, almost like being underwater. You can't hear 
anything. You can't hear music. You can't hear anything. A very good friend of mine played this exact stage three years ago. All right. That was, it was just a fantastic time talking to Eric, man. I, we got to have him back on the show. Uh, we actually talked to him for, for quite a while, so that was just kind of a little snippet of uh, some of the great things that he had to... Uh, great. I mean, what I would love... I mean, he's is, got some more Gaga stories. I would love to I do a show, a podcast, a live podcast mm-hmm. from his music room. Yeah. Because he talked, he talked a lot about, with us at least, a lot about a room he has in his house that is like filled with... Just live music memorabilia. I want to see that room someday. I mean, that's, I mean, very... Hopefully it's fireproof. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, of course. I, I, I hope so. So, Eric, uh, we want to thank Eric for coming on the show, sharing these stories. I mean, this is a part of um, live music history, man. I mean, you can't underestimate how important the era that he's talking about is in, in music in, in general. So, I mean, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have the Gagas and you wouldn't have all these bands you have today without those bands that he was talking about. Some of the other bands that are today came from those bands. So, uh, super honor, super pleasure to have Eric uh, on the show. And again, if you guys um, you know have stories from that era and you'd like to share them on the on the show, uh, again, uh, call us at seven seven three six zero nine four three four one. Uh, go to the show. Uh, we're going to have some show notes, uh, tons of links and all this other kind of stuff, uh, music from the podcast we've been playing. And um, uh, go to livefixblog.com. Again, uh, we do a whole bunch of uh, experiments during shows, uh, during other points of, uh, you know, of the week uh, on Twitter. So go ahead and follow us at LiveFixMedia. And then uh, also on Facebook, uh, we're going to be having some contests. Uh, we're going to be giving away some things and kind of doing some different different experiments. So go ahead and um, hit us up on Facebook as well so you can make sure that you're included uh, in that and you're, you're all uh, ready to go. So it's at uh, Facebook.com slash Facebook or slash Live Fix, sorry. And uh, I think that's that. That's about it, man. I think, um, you know, I'm going to, I don't know. I think I'm going to go try and... Um, I'm gonna go start and figure out my nickname. I, I need I need something as cool as nihilist. I mean, what are, are you gonna have a nickname too someday, Kyle? I, I think so. I think I'm gonna need to create a punk name. I, I, I we we need punk names. So we're gonna go start working our punk names. You guys go enjoy your shows, and we will catch you guys later. Thanks for listening. <laughs>